So 101 years ago, a group of independence fighters known as the 33 Leaders signed the proclamation of Korean independence at a restaurant in Jongno District, central Seoul, before sending a copy to the Japanese Governor-General. Thousands of students then took to the streets and read out the proclamation in full, calling out the famous Manse or Long Live chant. To discuss the significance of what is a pivotal moment in history, we have Mr. Ken Deputa, former intern at Vank Korea, who translated the proclamation of Korean independence into Dutch. Thank you for joining us. Hi, hello. Thank you for having me. So, got to ask you, first of all, what prompts you, a librarian in Belgium, to come and work in Korea as an intern for, for an organization that promotes Korean culture? Okay, um, so yeah, I'm a team leader and assistant librarian, actually, um, in the public library of Trombeek Bever near Brussels. And working in this field gives you a lot of access to information and stories. So, and I always have been interested in different cultures for a long time. For example, I visited the Philippines several times and traveled Japan and Korea uh, in 2018. And I learned that I didn't know too much about these uh, cultures. I mean, I thought I did, but they're more distinct than you would imagine at first. So a lot of people do know uh, Korea right now, South Korea, for example, about for uh, its technology and pop culture, maybe also the DMZ. <laughs> um, but there is also rising popularity. But I wanted to discover more about history and culture. When I was looking for a project with Isaac, I found the Fank project. So tell us about the desire to translate this document. That was something that you were able to contribute to, and the very nature of this organization, VANK, the V stands for voluntary. Um, the people at VANK want to promote Korean culture uh, and history to the world. Um, they also want to promote ASEAN countries. So... Actually, this results in promoting cultural awareness. People learn about Korea through VANK, but they also discover that there is more about the country than meets the eye. So, in my opinion, VANK showed me that I can make a contribution, so I think uh, anyone can. And if anyone can learn enough about different cultures, their eyes can be open to the beauty of diversity and those different cultures. So, for example, when I started at VANK, they wanted to uh, present my country too. So I did a quiz with quiz about Belgium. It's a game that I helped to develop some time ago. Afterwards, I started to translate the proclamation. I think they see this as a basis for freedom and cultural awareness in general. And I think that to VANK, it represents Korea as a nation that values those freedoms and peace. It was the Korean independence movement's aim to bring the occupation to the attention of the international community. I think this is a very important step towards independence. And this way they wanted to peacefully come to a solution together with world leaders. But of course, history took another turn. So I think that is why uh, the proclamation is important to thank in general. It uh, obviously took another few decades before we saw the division of the Koreas and obviously what we know today as being the outcome of the Korean War. But tell us in more detail, if you can, why you think this proclamation of independence is so important in this particular story and how I understand you've described it as more about rebuilding than reprisal. 
I think that this document where it says, uh, for example, um, they want to work on rebuilding, that leaves them little time to chastise the faults uh, of yesterday, for example. And for a nation that has been forcefully occupied, I think it's respectable that you can decide to fight back and firstly aim for a peaceful uh, resolution. So the writers also wanted to rebuild this nation that had been sovereign for over 600 years. So there was a strong sense of unity in the country before the occupation too. And there is a vision in that, I think. Uh, Of course, external forces had to be important to make this possible as the occupation was very one-sided. And I think the Korean writers of this document wanted to join the global turn towards humanism and globalism. So they put a lot of aim into working together, a lot of focus on working together and rebuilding the nation that they know from before the occupation. Mm. And again, coming to the first part of that, as I mentioned, the significance, a significance that so felt by you, presumably, that you wanted to give your time to, to actually do this. Can you explain to us why? First of all, I was asked to do this, <laughs> um, but I also did it uh, very happily because I wanted to contribute during my internship, and I thought it was a great way to do it, because I thought it would open up this document to a whole new audience who speak another different language. It has been translated in several, uh, I think, over 12 languages already. So I thought that was a very good addition. And for me, uh, this is important because it was written in a certain historical context, And I think this is important uh, to take into account when you interpret it. So in my opinion, this document is not about justification for uh, fighting or nationalism. It's uh, more than that. I think it wants to be a guiding text to find solutions. So that's why it's mostly about uh, rebuilding. Um, And this way we can also use a text in order to tackle problems of today uh, and think about it because it's core value uh, is still important because peace of the world and a dignified existence, for example, were focal points back then and are also still today. And uh, with climate change and migration following that, these elements will still be very important in the future. So I think in its historical context, this document can still learn us, uh, teach us something. Mr. Kendaputa, former intern at Bank Korea and translator of the Proclamation of Korean Independence, which was signed 101 years ago. Thank you very much for taking the time. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much. We continue with a look at how the Proclamation of Korean Independence was translated into English and sent to then President of the United States, Woodrow Wilson. In 1919, James Person, Professor of Korean Studies at Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies, now joins us on the line. Good morning to you from Seoul. Uh, Good afternoon from Washington. So you work with a group of Korean correspondents of the Hanmi Club, I understand, to find historical records on the March 1st movement last year. Can you tell us about the collaboration and, and what you found? Sure. Well, it's actually part of a, a broader project I have with the Hanmi Club and also with the uh, Korea Development Institute School in Korea. We are um, digging into uh, um, international archives to find evidence on and new perspectives on different flashpoints in modern Korean history. 
last year, uh, marking the 100th anniversary of the March 1st movement, um, we really uh, prioritized finding new materials. And so we went and, and spent some time looking in the uh, British National Archive uh, and then also here in Washington in the, the, um, the U.S. National Archive um, and unearthed a lot of materials that had, had not actually been seen before. Um, uh, new uh, letters, um, including the materials that uh, were sent to President Wilson, um, who probably never even saw them, sadly. Um, but this is uh, one of the, the many projects that we have, um, uh, ongoing projects gathering documents um, on again, flashpoints in, in modern Korean history. The Korean National Association was based in San Francisco, and in the letter they introduced themselves as having a membership of 1.5 million and representing 20 million Koreas, Koreans, I should say, in and out of Korea. So not a small association by any means. Can you tell us more about what you've found out about them? Sure. So it's an organization that was founded in um, uh, 1909, and it was the merger of, the product of a merger of, uh, of several organizations that after uh, Korea um, became a protectorate of Japan in 1905 emerged to protect the rights of Korean exiles. Um, and in 1908, after uh, the, the two Koreans assassinated a pro-Japanese um, diplomat, uh, a couple of these groups got together, groups from Hawaii and from San Francisco got together and uh, to, to represent the, the um, the two the individuals who was, who killed this this pro Japanese diplomat uh, from from the United States, and in, in the end decided to merge and to form the Korean National Association, and and, and you had among its members people like Singman Ri, An Chang Ho, um, and, and David Lee. Um, it it uh, they in the end represented uh, exiled Koreans all around the world, not just those in um, the United States. Uh, they were from 1910, of course, stateless. Uh, um, you know, they didn't have um, Korean passports anymore, and so this, the Korean National Association um, tr- uh, tried to represent the interests of of um, uh, these these you know the, the 1.5 million people living in exile, uh, but also um, tried to represent, of course, the Korean the Korean people who were stripped of their sovereignty in um, in Korea. You said that. Perhaps Professor, uh, President Wilson never actually saw this letter. H- how different might history have been if he had or if this letter had had greater prominence, even though the U.S. had signed the Taft-Katsura Agreement with Japan of 1905? Well, it's, it's, it's tough to say. We, we know that um, President Wilson actually knew Syngman Rhee uh, when Syngman Rhee was um, at... Uh, Princeton University, doing his PhD. We we now know that he visited the president, president well, the future president's home, then the president of Princeton University, visited his home several times. Uh, reportedly, even played the piano with with uh, his with President Wilson's daughter. Um, so there was a, a friendly relationship there. Had he actually been able to to get to President Wilson um, in 1919, for example, to uh, in Versailles? Um, uh, he may have been able to, you know, you, you get reacquainted and, and, and to share Korea's grievances. But, but the, the sense that we have is that, um, well, number one, he couldn't get the travel documents to go to Versailles. Um, but it's, it's pretty clear that, that um, 
uh, Korea's interests were not presented to President Wilson. Um, but it's, again, unclear that President Wilson would have acted upon it because when President Wilson was talking about self-determination, an idea that, that of course, inspired the authors of the, uh, the, the Declaration of Independence, um, he was referring primarily uh, to the um, colonized states of the countries defeated in the First World War. He wasn't talking necessarily about um, uh, the, the uh, liberation of, of peoples under um, uh, the, the colonial rule of, of allied leaders. Mm. Um, so it's, it's unclear that, that this would have actually swayed President Wilson um, in any way. But it's, what's fascinating, though, is to see the materials that we do have available to us now, to see how, how smart they were in presenting the, um, the case in a way that would appeal to Americans. For example, the emphasis on the struggles of Christians under, under Japanese colonial rule. Uh, this is something that would really resonate with the American people, and indeed it did. Um, and and Sigmund Rhee, um, in his activities in exile, uh, went around, for example, giving talks, not so much about, you know, give us freedom for the Korean people, but about the struggles of, of Christians under Japanese colonial rule. Um, so th- there was a, a developing a, a real know-how to, again, have a, a, a greater resonance um, in the United States. Looking at this from a from a historical perspective gives us so much more clarity, uh, and, and of course the ability to point some fingers. And today, fingers are still squarely pointed at Japan here. What would you say we could take away from this lesson of March First Movement and this moment in history? As as still today, we seek peace between Korea and Japan on historical issues. Well, gosh, it's, that's that's a tough question. I mean, it's it's. It, it really is such a uh, a, a sore, you know, um, moment in in Korean history, uh, with the, you know the Korean people being denied of their their sovereignty, and and then the the brutal suppression of this expression of of national identity, and and you know the effort to restore Korean sovereignty. Um, it, it's it's um, uh, it's really tough to draw lessons from this. Um, uh, I mean, it is it is a uh, of course, uh, you know it took some some um, uh, you know Korea went through some uh, many darker phases of the colonial period um, before it was able to um, uh, gain its independence. You know, and, and here I'm I'm thinking of the um, the period uh, from from uh, you know the mid 1930s until uh, liberation, uh, the period when we. Of course, where you have, of course, the sex slaves and the forced the slave labor. Um, so I mean, there, um, it still you know took a long time for for Korea to to actually achieve what what they so ardently what, what the Korean people wanted so ardently from um, from very early on was that you know the restoration of their national sovereignty. Um, so it's it's. Uh, it, it, you know, certainly things got worse before they got better. Right, um, yeah. I mean, it's certainly a subject that deserves a much closer look if people want to look into the subject in greater detail. I certainly would encourage that. And obviously the U.S. had a hand to play, more than a hand to play, in, in the outcome of World War II and its role in um, 
in obviously affecting Japan at the closing of its imperial rule. Thank you very much, Professor James Person from the Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies for now for joining us. Thank you.